0: ask and to dialogue and to fellowship with uh, four tremendous brothers, uh, most of whom don't really need introductions. And I think as I was thinking about this panel discussion, we have um, I think the gathering of people and also the opportunity we have as a smaller conference to get intimate and ask these questions, I think, is one that you don't find often. Like DL's been here in Orlando for 14 years, uh, we all we've obviously all heard uh, John and Pastor Paul's story and at ODPC we heard um, Harold's story and, and what he's gone through and, and the things that he's experienced and just the uh, the blessing that he has. And also Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he's been he knows every like Paul is literally the someone that knows everybody across the nation and he's got experiences of plenty. Um, so we have the extinguished, uh, just the distinguished opportunity to do so. So I have the questions in hand and hopefully we'll get through, the, uh, we'll get through all of them. Um, I can promise you as the moderator of this one, uh, panelists, I'm not going to hold back. Whatever they ask, I shall ask you. Because I know yesterday I heard from some, uh, they were like, dude, my question didn't get asked. Um, but uh, well, hopefully we'll go through all these questions. I, I've, I've gone through most of them and... They're, they're good questions. Um, and then we'll open it up in the end to have a few more questions if you think of any new ones. So, if I could inv- invite the panelists forward, um, if you give a round of applause to John, DL, Harold, and where's Paul? Paul's. <laughs> Come on in, guys. Uh, we'll make Paul sit in the black chair. And then because we have four panelists, uh, I won't be asking uh, – each question won't be required to be answered by all four of you. So I'll kind of guide um, the the questions as we go. Um, we'll, we'll start off with a couple of easier ones, and we'll start with uh, DL as our host at church. Um, what does your work week look like? How do you balance your responsibilities, and what do you spend – uh what do you spend how do you spend your time like what do you do most with your time during the week
1: cool um the mondays are <clears throat> my my uh i don't i don't work on monday i can't i, I want to say that it's a sabbath it, it's it, I'm, I'm trying to get back to that place um i spend a lot of time with my family on monday i try not to meet uh, parishioners um I start uh, I start Tuesday, so I have uh, probably about six months of sermons mapped out relatively in terms of where we're going um, based on, you know, as we, we pray about, we ch- I, I try and have a plan for a year um, relative in terms of uh, where we just sense the Lord is leading. We, we go through series, typically books of the Bible, uh, bouncing back and forth between Old Testament, New Testament, and as, as PJ said, uh, in between there'll be some uh, topical thematic, Uh, sermon, so I'll begin on Tuesday um, doing a lot of my own personal reflection, meditation, spade work into the text, Uh, and so Tuesday begins that that process. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday are days that I'll also, um, I'm available to to meet people, uh, typically for uh, a morning coffee or lunch, Um, and then the afternoon is spent uh, in in preparing. Tuesday nights, I'm part of a house church uh, that, I, that I don't lead, which I think is important for my soul and for uh, Olivia and our children as well, to know that we're, we're growing in community with other people who know us um, as pastor at the same time, just as, as DL, as Olivia, um, as you know, Manny, Elijah, and Elise, and they see all of the craziness. You guys, I mean, our life is pretty transparent in these contexts. My kids are not well-behaved kids. They're crazy. Um, they're nutty. And um, people see that. And they see all of that. Um, our home is, is always open. People are always coming in and out of our house. But, uh, you know, obviously we have certain boundaries. But Tuesday, Thursday, Friday is pretty similar. Sermon prep, uh, meetings for either uh, breakfast, coffee, or lunch. I meet about maybe uh, six to eight people a week. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding that I can't do more than that. Um, Wednesdays, I... <clears throat> Wednesdays, I, I spend uh, except for today. Uh, I, I fast on Wednesdays in order that I can um, just, you know, really seek the Lord. Um, it's my heart renewing day. Uh, we, the only, me- I meet with uh, my youth pastor, our, our staff, and then we have a prayer meeting in the evening. And so I, yeah, I like to be fasting and, and praying and, and seeking the Lord together. Um, and then Saturdays, um, I'm in the office. Um, so I'm usually only in the office on Fridays, Saturdays, uh, Wednesdays, I'm in the office and then Fridays and Saturdays, um, I'll come in in the morning and then depending on, on, on meetings, um, Saturday, I'll try and I'll have my sermon finished by Friday night, Saturday morning, send out all of our sermon information, questions and stuff so that Saturday can be open for uh, family parties, birthday parties, or, you know, whatever it is, a hey, come and play with us. And then I, I try and... Our youth ministry meets on Saturday night, so uh, 5.30 we'll eat dinner. So I usually try and eat with our youth to kind of keep up that relational connection with them. And then uh, I'll leave and let our youth pastor run his thing. He, he feels better if I'm not here. Uh, and then Saturday night, a lot of it is um, I am, am praying the sermon into my soul, making sure that, um, you know, sermon born in the head reaches the head. Sermon born in the heart, right, affects the heart, reaches the heart. So really trying to make sure that I'm, I'm believing and owning the things that uh, God has been working in my heart that I'm going to deliver the next day. So that's pretty. Sundays, um, we have a prayer meeting in the morning, worship service. Um, during certain seasons, we do missions training. Uh, other seasons, we'll, I'll meet with some of our other leaders to do training, um, but usually not too, too much on, on Sundays.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, this question is a quick one, but for all of you. Other than the Bible, what are you reading right now and why? So quickly in one or two sentences
2: uh, right now I'm reading Dan Allender to be told uh, it's the power of um, stories and I want to lead our church through um, knowing and understanding our story and then ultimately knowing God's story and being able to connect our story honestly authentically with God's story and see the redemptive purpose in
1: that Um a dangerous calling, Paul. Trip, uh, highly recommended to me, and uh, it's been yeah, it's been really kicking my butt a little bit. So uh, I think it's it's sobering and important for all pastors.
3: Uh, Sports Illustrated, <laughs> uh, Entertainment Weekly. I do subscribe to those too. Um, the Actually, it, it's it, it's going to sound like I'm literate or something, but someone has been raving about this guy, uh, Murukami. Uh, it's a book called Kafka on the Shore. And so I started reading the first 80 pages. It's pretty enthralling, very not Christian. Um, it's uh, enjoyable. I'm trying to learn to speak English better through the book. It's good. Um
4: uh. Every morning after Bible, I read a lot of newspaper just to see what's going on around in the evening, I read a lot of children's books
0: <laughs> Which is your favorite Paul of the children's books
4: uh, uh, Elsa is the thing that is really popular right now with the girls and um that's it really and then um real like sound pastorally i don't know we had a speaker recently who came by i don't know who it was to be honest but he talked about cost of discipleship and so that reminded me again well maybe i should read that again so that's kind of the one i'm kind of going through right now
0: all right this one's for uh harold and john uh how do you balance ministry and family Oh, and then on, on secondly, kind of how do you protect your family from the demands of the church and particularly maybe the KM if,
2: if the KM is extra demanding? Mm. I'll go, I'll go first. Um, so uh, Pastor Paul and Susan's family, you know that picture of that uh, huge boat that goes through the ice and they just plow through? That was Pastor Paul and Susan. Um, Susan is a, a high school teacher, so... But Casey knew off the bat she's not going to be the typical pastor's wife who's going to be at every – she's going to be basically the woman's pastor and and every other pastor that Pastor Paul's not. So um, she drew the – they drew – the church honored the boundaries they drew. And so all of our wives, uh, both Casey and EC, they just find a niche or a place to serve wherever it is, and the church just honors, respects that. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Um in terms of uh, honoring just the boundaries, I, for me, uh, I try to not go over any three evening meetings a week. Um, if if I do f- more than three, it's kind of like a freakish uh, week of the year. But other than that, I do three or less. Um, my day off is my day off. I don't, and I don't answer emails or check texts and the church is okay with that. Um, so Wednesday, my wife and I, we, and kids, we really connect at a deeper level. Um, Pastor Paul's advice, I, I, I don't share really everything with my wife, but the parts that impact me, I share that. I share, uh, generally about what's going on, but I share much more deeply with, with, um, how I'm being impacted and what I'm processing. And I think that's what Leanne wants to hear from me, not so much who was it and what they do and everything. It's more like how I'm, I'm, I'm processing through it. So that, I'm very grateful. Uh, church allows me three weeks of vacation. So we take care of, we uh, allow, have family connection time. And then uh, at Open Door, six years full term, and then seventh year is your sabbatical. You have three months. Of, of time with, um, and most of it is with our family. That's that's it for
3: us. Um, on the, I'll just pick up on the sabbatical. Uh, seven, seven years, sorry, we get six, six months. And um, I spread it over three years, two months apiece. So uh, that's where I catch up on uh, all the dating with my wife and being a bad dad throughout the year. Just two months, just nonstop. I'm kidding. I, I try throughout the week as well. Um, my uh, my wife, Sunny, like John said, it's very liberating and really uh, precious that our church allows her to follow her passions and her gifts. Uh, I don't think she feels much pressure to be the traditional uh, Korean pastor's wife. Thank God. She never could be, and I never would want her to be, and so more or less, she's pretty joyful, looks forward to going to church uh, and serving in children's ministry to accounting to (coughs) women's ministry, all these different areas, so we're really grateful for that. She's protected. Uh, One of her recent gifts, though, is uh, leading a class called Zumba. Uh, Zumba (laughs) is Latin dancing, and she grew up in Miami, so this was quite a hit at our last family retreat. Here's Sunny Samonim in Zumba pants uh, leading a class, and it was one of the most popular things our church has ever done. 30 people, and then there was such a high demand, she led a second class near midnight, and another 20 people showed up. So that's one of my wife's gifts. <laughs> She's incredibly hospitable. So, yeah, about three three or four, that's, that's a good number. Uh, we've got people over all the time. Uh, but, yeah. Sonny's hilarious. Before she led the Zumba class, she said, I got three rules. Number one, this is not an official CCSC function. So if you get injured or you don't like it, you can't (laughs) sue us. Number two, I really just dance to the beat. And I don't vouch for any of the lyrics because she's listening to like Pitbull and (laughs) Selena Gomez and Jennifer Lopez and some other songs. And there are not the most appropriate words in some of these songs. She says, a, a disclaimer is that uh, I, I don't know what they're saying. I'm just dancing to the beat. So don't judge me. Don't judge me. And the third is, you know, I'm I'm not a pro. Just, you know, learn and practice with me. Um, yeah. So that's part of our life.
0: All right. We're going to jump into a tougher category of questions, dealing particularly with KMEM dynamics, so brace yourself. Um We'll start off with this. If you could go back in time, this is for Paul and DL. If you could go back in time, what is the one thing you would tell yourself when you were starting ministry? Uh, I think this one is, you you can answer it however you like. I don't think it's particular to KMEM. Harold, we did not ask you the question. <laughs> Good question, whoever asked this one.
1: Like everything, there's <laughs> so much. Um, one of the things that I found to be most liberating recently, um, I I think I put my identity a lot in. Um, in how people respond to my ministry and especially to my preaching um, <clears throat> and so I would constantly <clears throat> I would constantly be waiting when I would go home for Olivia to say, "Hey, that was a good one right or something to that effect um, but i've you know, gospel. Your identity is not in that. Brother John would, you know, one of the things he would do when he would wake up in the morning is he would remember the words of Jesus' baptism and he would speak over himself, uh, "You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased." And yeah, you know, I would, I would do that after hearing that uh, Pastor John did that, and I would remind myself that my identity is found in nothing else. But, but still, because I so closely identify my ministry and and uh, ministry to people by that particular uh, gift, Um, it was hard for me to uh, faith, hope, love to really apply that into my heart. But recently, you know, it's just, it it became uh, a a matter of, do you really believe uh, the Bible? That when God says, as my word goes forth, just like the rain and snow uh, fall and it always accomplished the purpose for which it was sent forth. um, So I began to, to realize, hey, you know what, as long as the Word of God was preached and I was faithful to doing that, um, I there's an incredible freedom that has come in the last, I mean, honestly, it's it's been about a year. It hasn't been more than that. But in the last year, this great sense of freedom where, yeah, I, I preached the Word, I did my best, and God's going to do with it whatever He wants to do with it. And so this great sense of freedom that I'm not like looking for, Hey, you know, uh, when people come up to me afterwards, like, maybe they're going to say something, or maybe they're not going to say something, or, hey, Olive, what did you uh, think about today's service when really I meant what you think about how I did? Um, defi- so just, hey, understand that you're, you're – uh, my senior pastor always says, listen, I've been preaching for 20 years and nobody changes. So he would always say <coughs> – he would say <coughs> – by the time you get to the, uh, out the door, no one remembers what you said. So he says, relax. <laughs> and he says, not really, but understand. Yeah, just don't take yourself too seriously. Take the word seriously. Do your best. But at the end of the day, you know, God can take the worst sermon that you preached and use it to change a life. And the, what you think is the best. It's all, you know, but God always accomplishes purpose through it. So I think that that's been one of the hugely liberating things for me. So,
0: can you repeat the question? I don't remember the question. (laughs) If you could go back in time, what is the one thing you would tell yourself when you were starting ministry? Like, what's the one thing you maybe change or tell yourself and remind yourself now?
4: Um, Do a lot of things that give you joy, pretty much it, and uh, celebrate that.
0: Mm. Um, this next question is uh, related to your relationship with your senior pastor on the KM side. So kind of a double, and we'll open this up to anyone, we'll be limited to two. Um, how did you develop your relationship with your senior pastor? Because um, it seems like all of you have okay or good relationships. And then uh, kind of on the opposite side, the, what is the biggest mistake you made with your senior pastor and what did you learn from this mistake? So maybe actually we'll let John, we'll let John skip this one because he did that all day yesterday. So,
1: well, I, I'll say for one thing, like uh, like Harold said, relationship, relationship, relationship. Um, I my you know you saw Pastor Inky. He is the most extroverted person. Like he's always like when people when no one's like no one's in the office. I've snuck into my office. Um, and I'll hear him singing. He used to be a choir conductor, music major. So I'll hear him singing like opera by himself as he walks through the halls. Um, he, if he doesn't have anyone to talk to, he talks to himself. So um, he, uh, he routinely does about six to eight visitations a day, and he'll come back and, and he's like so excited, he's like fired up and. David, hi! Give me a hug and all of these things. He's the extreme extrovert, and I'm I'm the opposite. Um, if I'm at church, it means I've gotten away from people. I've gotten away from my family, and I just need to to decompress and and read and study. And um, he'll come to my office if I haven't said hi, and he's like bouncing off the wall, like, "You got anything for me? What's What's going on?" And it's a pretty so, good impression. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm okay to. Uh, like, I'm all right. Every time I go to church, um, I like when it's quiet. I like my own time. He doesn't like that. That frustrates him. And so we're so different. Um, and so uh, he, he has, he's oftentimes the initiator. Um, and he'll come and say, you want to eat lunch? I'm order a public sub. Or, <laughs> I tell someone, bring me chicken wing. <laughs> so he's always, uh, I, I think that's, the, that's just carving out the space, like being intentional about going, uh, making it happen. Uh, can we eat lunch, can I buy you lunch, and he'll say, yeah, I would love that, and he'll always end up buying, or can I buy you coffee, um, always bringing something as an, as an offering. But but I think you guys might need that more than me because my pastor wants to meet. He wants to talk, and like uh, Harold says, regularly, I'll go in just to say bye at 5.30. Olivia needs me home by 5.45, and I'll text her in the middle saying, I'm going to be home at 6.30 because uh, Moksani won't let me <laughs> leave. He's just talking and talking. <laughs> Um, so the other thing I would say because my personality is different like I'm fine to not see anybody I could go an entire day and not see and be completely fine with that but I have to be intentional like really intentional about going and and building that relationship on on my side not being like this selfish teenager who dad's always wanting to play catch but I'm like too cool for him or you know I I have to um, and I constantly remind myself you know Moksanim loves me; he really does, and he wants this from me. And so, I'll you know bring him some all-you-can-eat oh, Korean barbecue or something like that. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so for me to step out of my comfort zone to continue to build that relationship, I think that's big. That's a big thing for me.
3: Uh, I, I don't think most senior pastors are like Reverend Kim. Can give get Moksanim here? Uh, even Pastor Brian, I think he's. Uh, Fairly extroverted, uh, he's not Kimigi setting level, so I think about seventy to eighty uh, percent. I was the one that initiated, and I think I mentioned that that now oh, here is Harold again, he's a nuisance or he might be annoying. Um, I I was the one knocking on his door, scheduling a time. I think the best way to start though is to say, hey, I'm going to take you out for a meal, or take you to a baseball league, baseball game or something. Just find out what he enjoys. And just have fun, you know, try to be social. Um, Korean senior pastors, I'm sure they do something for fun. You got to find out what that is. Uh, they may not tell you, but you got to go find out what that is and uh, try to engage on that level. Our new senior pastor, CPC, Cerritos uh, Presbyterian insurance the last two years, there's a transition. And his personality is very different from Pastor Brian, uh, but the initiative is still the same. So we've gone out for several meals. He likes it right away that sees, you know, Christ Central is paying for the meal, thinks it's awesome. <laughs> and he gets like three, three, three hour lunch breaks. And you would, you'd be amazed how much uh, they do want to share and talk. Yeah.
0: Um, this one might be for Paul. This is kind of similar to it because uh, almost kind of looking off the bat, Harold, you said you've had good experiences all the way. D- DL is basically him and Pastor Kim has been it. And then you've been with Pastor Paul. So we know that, but, what do you do, and anyone can chime in, but what do you do, and how do you build, a, build that relationship with your senior pastor when they don't seem to want to? I don't know if you've experienced that, pulpit.
4: Um, you know, I believe in uh, something about conflict. There's no conflict solution. It's actually conflict management. When you come with that with a solution mind frame, you feel like you're going to fix everything. But I think, uh, for me, the way that I understand it is conflict management is best. Uh, you know, there's a lot of weird pastors around, aren't there? <laughs> Some are very socially awkward, and they don't know how to re- actually have a conversation with you. They don't give you eye contact. But the one thing that I, I think the way that I approach that is is Jesus' heart after us, that he chases after us, right? That we are the prey and he's the hunter. I take that approach with any person. That's not to say I like everybody. <laughs> But the mentality that I take with that is I'm not going to give up on this relationship. Yeah. And if you have that, then, then it works. Then you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to be in the midst of that. And so conflict management, right? And uh, really just have this attitude of I'm just not going to give up on this relationship.
2: If I could add, um, I think... Maybe if we could put ourselves in the shoes of, of our uh, first-gen pastors, stuff that they went through or stuff they go through, especially the elder board, especially if it's a hostile elder board, it's not like afterwards they come out and they're like open arms, hey, you know, let's let's talk. They're probably, you know, more of a sense of isolation or withdrawing or emotionally not being able to open and. Being vulnerable that's that would be really difficult. Um, one of my professors, uh, Eugene Peterson, described when it comes to relationships, there's always two elements: intimacy and commitment. Any healthy relationship you are you show a level of commitment and in that commitment, a person can be intimate right Share about who they are, really know them, really uh, know you and share themselves with you. And then when that's good, then you take another step of commitment and then another step of intimacy and then another and another and another and another. And that whole process is basically called trust or, or building of relationship. And um, until those two are really there, you, you really can't move that far ahead. So I think with Pastor Paul, I really wanted him to have a, a genuine sense that I was committed with him, to him and, and with him. And I wanted him to know me. I wanted to know him, and uh, that whole thing of vulnerability, openness was was really key. First gen pastors, it might take longer. Uh, Harold mentioned it. it will, relationships take time, so just being aware of that. Pastor Paul loved fishing, so I think I went um, fishing every month. And in Virginia, it's night fishing, so we'd go out at 10 p.m. I bring him back at two or four, two to four so he'd fall asleep so that he could go to morning prayer so i would drive back i drive back about three hours so we'd finish fishing at around one and i drive back till four so that's how we got to know each other but he was asleep more than half the time that's how it worked for us
0: if you're not driving three hours in the night to build for with your senior pastor you got to do more just kidding um we're going to get, we have a couple of string of questions that we want to get to. Where we want to start here, and this might be quickly uh, for all of you, um, and we'll build off of this. What are your strengths and weaknesses? Because Harold talked about earlier you need to know them, and you need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at, uh, and then spend time doing what you're good at, and then thankfully thank others to do the things that you're not good at. So uh, panelists, what are your strengths and weaknesses briefly so that we can get to some of the other questions? But yeah, uh,
2: Strengths for me, teaching, uh, small group Leading, relationship, skill uh, building, and uh, um, visitations. Uh, Lacking organizational leadership, admin. um, Yeah, I think those are, yeah, just thinking in the nuts and bolts
1: aspect. Very similar, yeah, I think strengths, uh, yeah, teaching, preaching, uh, shepherding, uh, counseling. Uh, not so good at organization, administrative, things like that. Uh, very messy with that. Um.
4: I mean, my staff are here, so tell me what I <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty like doggone, undefinably like horrible at admin and uh, organization. Oh. I only uh, care about what I think should happen. <laughs> That's pretty much it, and the strengths I'm still working on, um, trying to be a better teacher and preacher, trying to be a better shepherd and, and leader. Yeah.
3: So we got four guys up here who are uh, all administratively deficient. John, I thought you—I'm I'm surprised by that. Okay,
2: I think it, um, I think when the church was smaller, I was able to. Yeah. But yeah. Then I, I couldn't. Yeah. Do it. Yeah.
3: Um, I, I share the same sentiment. I mean, it's pretty crystal clear what I think well people have told me what my strengths are. Weaknesses are growing but I'll you know, I think what Anne Lamott said is my greatest weakness, I'll struggle with it till, till the day I die. Uh she wrote, The biggest difference between uh God and me is that God never thinks he's me. That's my that that's about sums it up. That's why I have a hard time resting and Sabbath and overdoing something sometimes.
0: Mm. Um Paul's strength in my opinion is he's he's like the king of Nunchi. If you don't know what Nunchi is, it's like he is the king. If you he knows how to read things and, and figure it out. That's his that's a and that's not, a, I'm not that's not a strength you downplay. That is a big time strength in the in the Korean American church thing. Um So then what do you do then when KM asks you to exercise your weakness? And they're like do this. What do you do when they exer- ask you to exercise, and then, or let's just say they ask you to do something that you're not really good at, yeah. and so, and, you know, more than what you think you're supposed to do? Then how do you respond well, to that?
4: I think that's easy because current churches will ask you to do everything. Uh, friends, there's one key word: delegate outsourcing. <laughs> if I'm not good at it, I just won't do it. Uh, but I'll have someone else that I think who will do a better job. So I ask these people seriously. And some of them are so gifted that I sometimes feel like it should be the other way around. They should be leading, not me.
3: The, the first four years when we were in English ministry, I don't recall one occasion that I said no to anything that the senior pastor asked. Uh, everything was yes. Uh, and then we became a church, and that changed slowly but surely. Uh, he was that gracious. So that's in general
2: um for for us uh yeah we we said yes uh to everything that was uh presented to us but uh towards yeah as we got larger i was i was delegating more and um, our staff was increasing where it it didn't even come to me now it went to laterally
0: so if you uh tied to that so if you feel like you're being asked to do way more than you feel like you can do Would you recommend three, Like, what are the three things that you would say you should focus on to make sure that you're doing in light of the fact that you're being asked to do way too much? What are the three things? Maybe we'll go Harold and Paul.
3: No, I think we should just go Paul.
0: (laughs) Uh,
4: So when when I uh, met with James Kwan, the first uh, encounter that I had with him was uh, I want you to be like I was at Onuri, and I was like Oh well, what was that like And he said, I never said no, I said yes to everything <laughs> so i don't i don't know if i'm the best person to answer this I've said yes to every single thing, even to translating a small little paragraph from Korean to English to preaching for early morning. I do Korean preaching for early morning service what else i do I do his father's school um mm actually do a whole lot. Um, <laughs> but you said you don't do anything. <laughs> can we talk about compensation? <laughs> no, but uh, so the three things that I focus on is uh, I prioritize in the amount of work that I have. Number one, it's uh, my time for my people that he's given to me. So uh, worship and sermon and preaching that comes ob- above everything that he does. So I'll ask him, when do you need this done? Because I'm doing something now, but I, I would love to do this. The second thing is um, uh, shepherding and meeting with people. I do that throughout the week. Um, and third, just sometimes, you know, because I'm very, I, people don't believe I'm very introverted, so I need to be by myself. So I uh, sometimes I need that time away to be by myself reading. And so, um, and then obviously family comes first. So whenever my wife says uh, Monday for me is honey to do list, so I just do whatever she she says, and so that's worked out really well. Um, and so I just prioritize and the things that I think are the important things that I need to figure out. And then the time that I have left over, I'll try to really crunch that. And then this is not to showcase I'm, I'm, like, not lazy, but I wake up earlier than most people because I just don't have enough hours on a given day. So I, re- I usually wake up around, like, 4.35, get in a ton of work because when the kids are up, the kids are up. It's it's game, you know. It's overtime by then, so
2: yeah. I think if I could um, share a little bit more. Oh, were you were you um, um, share a little bit more, big picture wise? I, I think the frustration could be when you have the EC. We have our stuff to do. You have the KC with their stuff to do, and then they ask you to help them and and do that. I think because uh, then you're always reacting. Yeah, So I think the long-term, I hope, goal would be both of you come up with a common vision. Both of you say that you're heading towards that common vision, but it's going to look like this. And then both of you are on the same page. Like, we're both going to be busy. We're both going to pour ourselves into what it looks like for us to do this, whatever that vision is for your church. And there's less likelihood of them wanting to de take you away from what because you're both aiming for whatever that thing is so more proactively you know just just mm. go for that that way you know if somebody says hey pastor so and so can the EC pastor do this for us and most likely they'll say no you know they're they're doing it this way already so um, we can't really ask them to so hopefully it's more proactive mm. you know rather than just reacting
0: to mm. needs. Um, More specifically along these lines, I think this is the last kind of question in this area. What happens when your senior pastor doesn't take a vacation, never takes a pay raise, anything like that, and so therefore the church denies you those things? When, and then more more broadly, when is it okay to call out cultural ideals in the church? I told you, I'm just going to give it to you as it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Take a little time for this one.
1: I, I, um, I I'm not going to answer that. Uh, <laughs> but let me uh, attack it from one particular angle. I think having a champion on your side uh, is 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 crucial, so that you're not the one fighting the battles. Right, somebody who's going to champion your cause and. And be a martyr for you, someone who 's going to believe in you and be able to speak out for you uh, I think that's that's crucial. someone who is able to uh, speak on your behalf but also um, yeah, to be able to, to protect you, you need be. Like yeah, I do I do. Um, I have some people that uh, who who have the ear of our senior pastor um, but who also know uh, where i 'm at where my family's at. And so, yeah, they're they're constantly being a go-between. So that's been big.
2: Um, that's actually come up in our, our congregation, and it was our elders on the EC side who actually fought uh, in terms of uh, salary. Just to give you a, some context, the KC's uh, average salary is much lower than the EC's average salary. So the EC elders want to pay me according to their congregation, so it will be higher. The KC wants to pay lower because it's according to their congregation uh, salary. So we go back and forth, and our elders constantly push for everyone's salary, not just the ECs, but the KCs as well. So all the KC pastors love our elders on the EC side. Um, the KC elders just want to be more sensitive, and so our EC elders understand that. So we're trying to find ways of Better health insurance better other benefits uh trying to push one percent at a time you know just an increase of everyone's salary um, in terms of vacation i don't, yeah i i don't know i mean we've always pastor paul um, always um, supported just time off so um, but if if he if he didn't i guess what, that intimacy and commitment, right? As as long as more he's no, he knows that I'm on his side and together, I would, um, yeah. At at a place where I think is wise, I'd I'd bring it up with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, either Harold or Paul. When do you think, if it is, when do you think it's okay or appropriate to call out maybe some culture ideals that you feel like are being?
3: I'll gladly defer to Paul. <laughs> Uh,
4: so right now if i can i mean not to be not too private but enough um, james uh you know he he sets the salary for even uh our english uh, congregation staff and some of our leaders were like you know we're not little kids anymore and we want to pay you more and the rest of our staff more and so I could have just been silent and let this go and created a whole lot of ruckus. But for me, I just felt like it wasn't time for me to talk about that because I'm still building a lot of equity with James. And so uh, so I, I just choose not to talk about it. There are certain things that will strike a chord with, with our uh, you KM, know, Casey Senior Pastor James. And if you want to expand the kingdom of God and you have this crazy passion for church, he will be so flexible to do everything. So I try to just focus on that as much, and our church, to be honest, culturally we don't have a lot of like weird stuff. Other than, other than what well, I don't know, we're pretty, we're a pretty normal church. The other churches, I'll be honest, I just, I just uh, didn't say anything. I just felt like that was my portion to learn, I didn't say anything. I, I would never go to the senior pastor and be like. You're horrible, you're despicable, look at you. I never said that. I always smiled, um, <laughs> went to Sebekido like when he went, and I would always say, hey, let's go have breakfast. I'll buy because it's McDonald's, you know? And so <laughs> I, I seriously never I, I never called those things out, to be honest. I felt, if that's Nunchi, that's Nunchi, but I just wanted to be respectful and honorable. Just, you know what? He's the leader. As long as it's not immoral, I just, you know, it's a cultural thing. Just, just bear with it. And when you're the leader, set good culture. And the, the areas that you can control, set good cultural boundaries as well there. And then, you know, slowly build up trust so that you have some open invitation. The most kind of straightforward thing I've ever said to a senior pastor was someone who had recently come from Korea who did not understand the North American context. I waited two years before I said, finally said something. I looked at him, and I said, you know, Pastor Kim, in the the most gracious way, but also wanted to be straightforward. I love you, but sometimes, have you ever seen this grumpy old man the movie? And he said, what do you mean? I said, I think sometimes you're a little too grumpy on everyone that you meet. And maybe that is not the best way for you to have leverage when it comes to preaching the gospel. And uh, I prayed for a full week just for me to bear to say something like that and he took it really well. (laughs) I was like, wow. He's like, you know what, Paul? I am. I was like, yeah. Yeah.
1: But I waited two years.
4: (laughs) I should have said something earlier.
1: (laughs) I can add something real quick, Pete. Uh, So Pete uh, made mention of something that I've I've said in the past in different contexts, but I think anytime there has to be uh, difficult conversations, I don't think all of us Uh, Not many of us have that kind of patient endurance that that Paul had to be able to do the things that he does, and to, you know, 4:30 in the morning. Even like throughout this conference, he's like, "Yeah, can you get my senior pastor at tea time? I'll drive him." They want to go at seven in the morning. Like, you're gonna drive your senior pastor, and he's he he is willing to do stuff like that. Um, We ought to all be willing to do that, but maybe we're not at that that place. I think one of the things that we have to make sure uh, and understand. Uh, Again, relationship, 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 intimacy, and commitment. Uh, If ever we need to uh, confront or call out or do something difficult, we're cashing in, uh, we're we're cashing out in a sense. And so we have to make sure that we've got enough chips that we've earned to be able to cash out on something that is worthy. So every time we do so, every time you drive your senior pastor to the airport at an ungodly hour, you get a chip. Every time you... Uh, do something that goes out of your comfort zone because they ask you to do it for the sake of the church, uh, you get a chip. And right? every time you do something, and this is even with your parishioners, uh, every time I, recently I went to visit someone in uh, in the hospital, and they were in a, a medically induced coma, so he's not going to know that I, I went there. But I want him to know that I was there. Um, his wife was there. I, I I prayed for her, and so when he came out, he was so happy that I had, I had visited him. Everything that we do is earning chips. Uh, and one day, right, we have, to, we have to make sure we have enough relational capital and relational currency so that when those difficult conversations need to be had, uh, we've got to know that we've got the, the credit in our bank, so to speak, to be able to, to make those asks or to be able to have those difficult conversations. Those chips show that we care, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so uh, building chips, constantly accruing chips so that you can cash them in and to make sure that what you're cashing it in on is, is worth it in the long run.
0: Yeah, I've heard those words, equity, chips, <coughs> relational, all that stuff from those two guys in the last year. And it's been some of the best stuff that I've I've learned in a long, long, long time. Um, Kind of along, kind of along these lines. How can you give us some practical tips on how we might be able to better assess our strengths and our weaknesses? So, like, how did you guys kind of come to know your strengths and weaknesses? Obviously, Harold, you talked about people from me in you, but what are some practical ways and some things that we can for some of our uh, you know younger people? Like, how do we?
3: Um, I mentioned it was about three or four days of the Christian version of American Idol. Uh, down in Atlanta. It's called the Church Planting Assessment Center. Uh, So in our presbytery, as well as our church, and I belong to a network called Christ Central Network, which is all about planting churches and raising pastors who are going to turn around their dying EMs. Uh, I am absolutely convinced, it doesn't matter what organization it is, uh, in addition to seminary, having some kind of formal objective 360 assessment uh, will just... It can only help you. It might hurt hurt you a little bit up front, uh, but I think I was talking to uh, another dear brother over at lunch. Uh, I think one of the first qualities that leadership <laughs> requires, but it's woefully lacking, is just self awareness. This is back to Nunchi and whatever language you put it. So self awareness. So the assessment helped tremendously. Mm. The assessment required six recommendations, two of my mentors, two of my peers, yep. as well as two that work under. Uh, this is while I was leaving Virginia coming to California. The other thing that tremendously helps is we just had another consultant assess our church. Uh, I asked for regular feedback. Uh, that's huge. So, yeah, I, I understand what DL is talking about. I, I asked for feedback. I asked for criticism. And the one that always delivers that best is my wife, Sunny. And if she, if something was not clear to her, I understand that it was not clear. So I think initiating and asking is just huge. And, um, yeah, it, it gets repeated, the strengths and weaknesses. It's uncanny how many different people observe the same strengths and weaknesses, which shows that, oh, that's where I'm strong. That's, that's where I'm weak.
2: Um, just to piggyback off of Uh, Harold. So I actually also went through a 360 feedback uh, through a program called Arrow, Arrow Leadership Formation. And uh, two, yeah, the two who are over you, the two alongside of you, and the two who serve uh, under you. And wow, that uh, the evaluation time uh, rocked me. It was um, basically, real quick, just in every area I gave myself, on a scale of 1 to 10, I was giving myself a 4 or a 5. And everybody else was giving me more of a 7 or 8. And my the per- evaluator said, there's something about the way you see yourself in light of who God is where you are. Um, you're not really living by faith and, and really living off the gospel and um, basically, what it came down to was, as I, I was more living as an orphan, and serving as an orphan than as a beloved uh, child of God, and it just led me on a five-year journey of what it means to really live as as a beloved son of God, and that's why this is my son whom I love with him I'm well pleased. That's where I just need to live in in that through Christ, um, but that was huge. And I wouldn't—that wouldn't have happened if if I didn't go through this 360. Um, another thing is just uh, a lot of. For me, I'm more introspective, so a lot of journaling, um, a lot of uh, community people who are very close to me who could feel like they could share anything with me would share um, very openly, um, just my weaknesses, my strengths.
4: I did uh, what Pastor John did. I went through Arrow. I was uh, the 24th class. And uh, it was, uh, we did a 362. So I scored always lower than what people thought of me. Um, the first thing that we go through is know yourself, right? Yeah, that was huge. I recommend it for anyone who has time and money.
3: Mm. <laughs> if you have time, <laughs> <laughs> um, let me add uh, le- uh, just one commentary on that. At the assessment center, uh, they said, Harold, you, like so many other Asian Americans, Tended to rate and score yourself lower than all your peers thought. That's a whole other topic. Shame, not feeling comfortable in my own skin, always feeling inferior. Uh, This is huge. That's okay. That's, I mean, this could take forever. Yeah. I I honestly believe that having healthy Asian American identity, significance, and then being healthy there to be able to better minister to all, all the nations. Uh, this is crucial, yeah
0: yeah, um we're gonna go into kind of a bit more of the church kind of stepping out of the personal realm a little bit um we'll do we'll start here uh, for John, especially for o d p c will you always be the one to one model? what happens when the k m shrinks will the e c move to the older k c building and k c into the e c building and vice versa, and they even mentioned that that would be beautiful symbolically you know so what happens yeah
2: I'm just trying to do one-to-one right now. Um, we are, right now, I think the next step for our church is, like I shared earlier, legacy. And then part of that is, uh, I think the word that, actually, Pastor Paul's not here, so I didn't tell him yet. But the word I'm, I'm praying through is the word multiply. Um, so what we're thinking of is is launching KC and EC Separately or possibly even together, um, a plant or a daughter or sister church or multi-site. We're, we're still praying through that. But um, we feel like we're getting too many leaders and we don't have enough space or opportunities for them to serve. Like Harold mentioned, just lead, mm-hmm. right? But we don't have the, the place because um, right now we're, we're kind of maxing out. So um, there's like a ceiling. Uh, for a lot of our leaders, so I think we 're thinking of, yeah, just fifty minutes away you know to an hour away without without affecting other churches and stuff, but really going where there is no church, so that 's one thing we 're thinking of mm-hmm. in terms of swapping um, pastor paul would be I, I think he 's the type who 's who 's open to anything. You know the deeper question for us is who who will be the pastor who replaces Pastor Paul? Mm. So we're actually going to look very closely here to see how you guys handle, you know, Pastor Inky and Yes,
1: you my Korean know. is perfect. So thank you, thank you. Um,
0: can can. Can you guys mention maybe just briefly other kind of models or kind of KMEM arrangements? Obviously, we've heard a lot about the ODPC model. We've seen uh, the model here or the, the weights here uh, being modeled throughout the week. Uh, can you guys mention kind of other other ones that you've seen, uh, maybe that, that that you've been a part of, that you can comment on just briefly, uh, Paul, Harold?
4: Ben Chin has a good book. You guys can read that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he? explain duplex and all that stuff, yeah. Uh,
3: he actually just sent me a chapter, so I'm just going to completely plagiarize on one section. <laughs> I just thought to him an hour ago. It's coming out with the book on Asian-American ministry. There's one chapter that says, uh, ain't No Shame. I was just speed reading it. There are like 15, 17 models. I had no idea in the Asian-American church. I thought there were like three. Mm. <laughs> Split, stay together, or... Continue to be one shirt, you know. I, I thought there were like three or four. So there's 17. Um, frankly, in LA, I could only assess from LA. I haven't, I'm longing to hear what Paul and John shared. Uh, Open Door is just one of the healthiest, enduring models. Um, we're trying to be like that. Uh, LA, there are really no other models that I'm aware. Both sides are like happy. If we're going to measure health just on subjective feeling that the Korean congregation, the English congregation, are really happy with each other, I, I got to be frank; it's it's really tough. And we're talking this is like among hundred pastors. I'll tell you the model. This is going to be a little bit tricky. I don't know exactly what Open Doors is, but but kind of the one church model, the one session, because that's not just the language thing; it's a culture. In L.A., they're still really trying to figure that out. I would just say it has not been done with a one-session model where English-speaking representatives are going to sit on one session along with Korean-speaking elders on one session. Um, Maybe one of these churches will lead the way on that.
2: Yeah. With that, I think one thing that's happening, maybe it's different for L.A. and Virginia. Virginia, more and more of our – the elder who was just uh, uh, installed for the Korean side is about – Seven years older than me, six years older, speaks perfect English, and and the other ordained de, the ordained deacons or deacons who are in the um, who are in the shoot to to go in next. They're they're all English speaking too. Mm-hmm. So maybe in Virginia D.C. because immigration has stopped, people are the Casey is becoming much more uh, English speaking. They went to college here, mm-hmm. so that's. LA, it's probably immigration still going on. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, uh, this is question is directly to Harold. Where is it? I gotta pull it up here. Um, kind of what you were talking about earlier with self-awareness. Um, how much does the Korean heritage matter or take role in your main site?
3: In what's the last part? In main, main site,
0: I guess at your at your at your church. Yeah, Yeah, Cerritos, or yeah. Oh,
3: by the way, we have not started or launched our multi-site. It's in the plans. We've been planning for about a year and a half. So we only have one site right now. Two services, and the Korean congregation has three. Uh, How much does the Korean heritage Uh,
0: matter matter, or take role, or kind of take part, shape your?
3: Oh, in terms of how we do our ministry. Yeah. Increasingly less and less. Um. By virtue of the fact that I'm Korean American, I'm sure some of it may come out, but we intentionally really want to keep Christ front and center, being a Christian as our primary identity. Uh, that the gospel would be the most important thing, and hopefully, it'd be attractive and binding to people of all backgrounds. Uh, we stay away from Korean lingo, stay away from Korean jokes. Uh, we're getting to the point now where we're going to have to be conscientious, although that really hurts me, is Korean food. Um, that's a big deal. See, to me, I just take it for granted. But that is a big, big deal. The smell, the experience, the taste. Um, when we're going to go launch off multi multisite, I think we've got to be conscientious of this. Mm-hmm. But I think the lingo, the talk, the insider jokes, um, any reference to it that most people just can't pick up on, I think we've got to be more conscientious about this. And, of course, this is Tim Keller's evangelistic worship. Just as we've got to be conscientious of believers being in the room, we've got to be conscientious of non-Creative being in the room. So I'm not ashamed or embarrassed of it whatsoever. Very happy with 대한minku. <laughs> <with laughs> uh, but I, am, I do not put that up front. Man세, um, absolutely. I do not put that up front. And, yeah. Do you guys understand what that is, Katrina and Brendan? I just did what I said we shouldn't do. <laughs> See? As an example of how bad it. <laughs> yeah. Um.
0: Just checking. I believe at least all the churches here. None of you have Korean in any of your names. ODPC, Seattle Community Church of Seattle, right? And then here in Orlando, even on the KC uh, Korean side, I think. Maybe Cerritos. Is Cerritos Korean Presbyterian? Is, do you have a Korean in, in the Cerritos
3: part? No, it's just called Cerritos Presbyterian Church. There you go. However, no. All the signs are in Korean. Mm. And our stage has Korean writing. But more than the writing, it's the that cheesy artwork that Koreans all love. The <laughs> <for> church slogans. <laughs> it just kills us. Um, Every artist and musician looks at it and says, that is so gross. <laughs> But we don't get to choose the mural. We just have Christ Central written over here, and then we've got a Korean sign over here. On the website, if you watch the video sermon, and we just hired, multi, you know, a hipster guy, why this could be Irish, you know, Mick. He says, I love, love this church. But all my friends who watch the sermons now, they all make a comment. These are non-Korean friends. They all make a comment. What? This is a very Asian Korean church because they see Korean writing right in the back. So he says, can we get a, just a black backdrop? Can we cover it? And so we're looking at set designs now to actually cover it. Again, mm. not because we're ashamed of being Korean American. This is for the sake of the gospel to reach sensitively uh, people who are not Korean.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what uh, Pastor Paul shared just about, about the switch from KOPC to open door right that that was a, a huge part of the part of the reasoning um to do so um okay a couple of more pastoral uh pastoral questions um one of them is kind of in a similar light although they shouldn't no, no, i'm not saying i'm not saying they're similar but one question was how do you minister someone who's battling cancer but it's just not going away um and then again it shouldn't be maybe tied but just for the sake of it how do you how do you minister and develop a relationship a healthy relationship with someone who doesn't like you right off the bat or um just you know like that just doesn't appreciate you or you just have lots of conflict so how do you deal with kind of those conflict relationships and how do you develop those? I'll leave it open to anyone who wishes to answer
2: to this one uh with someone who has cancer um, i would um, i would uh scheduled time, either myself or one of our staff. Usually one of our amongst our staff, one of us knows them uh, very closely. It doesn't always have to be me, but we visit them, and uh, we notify their small group, their community group, and make sure that uh, they also set up time to meet with them. If there's treatment where they're going to be in the hospital, uh, we have, uh, at least at our church, we have a care ministry that follows up with food chains, uh, for up to two weeks, we could uh, minister there. Uh, we have a prayer wall where we uh, could just, tie, with their permission, um, just put on the prayer wall, and, and people would pray for them. Um, and then uh, I think we, we really try to follow up with them um, depending on how everything's going, um, you know whether we go once a week or a few weeks. Again, it it depends what kind of nature and if it's aggressive. And um, at our church, it, it sometimes if if the parents are involved, or then the KC also does the same thing on on the Korean side. But you said it's not just parents; it
0: also. Yeah, or or how do you, yeah someone who doesn't like you? You can go either direction. And I apologize for grouping them together. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but just for time's sake, we just.
3: Let's just cut to the chase. Have you guys met Pastor Paul (laughs) Kim?
0: Conflict management. I don't. um,
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: I would, I would think there's some sort of intuition with pastors. You get the sense that they probably don't like you very much. And I, and I heard that most pastors and leaders who take these uh, 360 conflict solution management tests, they score in this realm, hide under the rug, and hope that it goes away. It never works. That never works. So you have to get out of that and face uh, what's before you. So that's number one. So you have to get out of that kind of shell and say, okay, there's a problem that exists. (coughs) There's something that I need to do about it. The second thing that I guess I would do is in your ministry, you have to classify these people in this way. And I'm not like itemizing people. But what I do is there's people that you have to meet periodically. There's people that you have to meet on a weekly basis. But there are those people you have to meet almost on a daily to check in and out. You should classify that because then you're being very reactive in your ministry and the third i think the very best way is to be very intimate and what's more intimate than having a meal together and so uh, james told me that paul you should enjoy eating together with people who aren't on the same page with you but make it joyful that as you proceed to do this that they're on your side now and so um, that's what i've done you know if you were to ever exit a church, I would say don't ever burn bridges and be like the heck with you and overturn tables. It's, it's going to come, like back and bite you really big because this, you know, like six degrees of separation—it's like two in Korean churches. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like. But I'm not. Perf- I haven't perfected it. I still need to work at it every day.
0: Yeah. Uh, a professor of mine named Gerald Johnson. He once said if you have issues with somebody are trying to build a relationship, the first place he starts out was he repents for not loving them enough. And it's like when, you know, when people are quarreling or lovers quarrel, you know, when you repent of your lack of love, then it almost, you know, melts the ice. And so not saying I do it at all. I'm just saying that's what he taught me. Um, a few, uh, maybe a couple more and then we'll open it up to any extra questions as we get closer and closer to three. Um, one, uh, how do you create kind of the environment or the circumstances uh, so that unbelievers feel comfortable uh, in connecting with the gospel at your church,
1: I think uh, we we've alluded to it. I've given away books about it, but um, one of the things about the early church was that it was winsome and attractive to to unbelievers. There was a power in it. Um, surely God is in their midst. Um, there's a there's a dynamic that's that was alive, and so. Um, I think when we search scriptures, we look at the the early church we 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 find things that they were committed to. we look at what was it about the early church and so one of the things that um we do as a as a church that 's pretty much you know central to our ethos is um, we do life together in these small churches that that meet in homes um, i think if an alien from Mars were to come to planet Earth and were to say, hey, can you tell me about this movement that began with 11 people and a crucified leader up against a multi-million person uh, Roman Empire? Um, And you were a betting person, and then you saw 325 years later that that group of 11 fearful people had flipped that empire upside down. Uh, There's got to be something about it. What is it about... Christianity, and nobody in those days would have pointed to a Sunday worship gathering and say, this changed the world. They would point to groups of people that were living out their faith, that were living lives that were so contagious in the gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer through a a serving lifestyle, through um, every person within the church being ready to sacrifice for the sake of the greater good. Um, and so one of the things that, that we've done is um, we don't want to be an attractional congregation. We are in a sense, just because within this small Korean community, uh, we're kind of a, we're the big fish in a small pond. And so by nature, there will be an attractional nest to what we do. I think, uh, yeah, that's just the reality. But, um, Almost a, you know, the back door, but also a front door into the church for, for non-believers is our house churches, where uh, people are a lot more privy to come to someone's house where the believers gather together, um, and when they come, they will be treated like the most important person in the room, where they'll be fed. Uh, they'll hear Christians saying, I have got issues with this, and I need prayer. And at the same time, they'll hear people come back and say, you guys prayed for me three weeks ago about this. Here's the way that that's been answered. Hey, uh, non-believer, what are some of the things that uh, are there ways that we can pray for you? And as they share, as they begin to reveal, revealing the feeling is a starting to healing. We've seen many people come through that front door of the church, just being the church that the scripture described. Um, And it's not just a theoretical understanding of scripture, um, but within those contexts, people practice and, and live out faith. You know, one of the things when Harold and I go to, go to China uh, and we meet with people in these house churches who have literally, took, for them to come out and say I'm a Christian, means they've crossed the line. They've rolled the dice. They've counted the cost. And the next step, they're ready, they're ready to die because for them to come out and say I'm a believer of Jesus Christ means that the down payment has been made. Um, they're ready to, to give all of it to Christ. And so what our leader tells us, she says, can you tell people in America, practice your faith? Just practice your faith. Don't just be hearers of the word or knowers of the word. Practice your faith. Live it out. Right? Stand up for who you are. Be who you are and live out your faith. In what context do we do that? So every week as our house churches gather, um, one, of, you know, one of the things that we're, we had a conversation last Saturday, we met with our house church leaders. Hey, what do you do with these people who want to switch house churches? It's always been our, our mantra. You cannot, you don't leave your family, right? Your family is where you deal with those issues. So as, uh, as Harold said, you know, where you are is where you are. And so someone's got conflict within this house church because of one reason, and they're going to go to another house church. They're going to continue those same issues. But what does the Bible say? What does the gospel say when you have conflict with somebody? You go to them. You forgive. You repent. You ask for forgiveness. You deal with that stuff. And that's how we grow, not by knowing, right, but by doing, right? Jonah knew what he ought to do, but he didn't do it. Therefore, he forfeited the grace that should have been his Jonah too. So uh, within that that context, there is a beautiful and winsome door that people have into the gospel, um, into gospel community, uh, because so many, uh, unlike the man in the hot tub in Vancouver, people oftentimes need to belong uh, before they can simply believe.
3: Yeah, I I did want to add another dimension. Absolutely, I think community... Uh, belonging, as Mark Driscoll and other books and statistics tell us, huge in our day and age. That's why I was suggesting cold call evangelism with four spiritual laws is not as effective, although that is not a waste of time. Uh, Having said that, the house church living out, I think this is phenomenal what this church and many other churches are doing. But sure, there's another dimension of the larger group, Sunday worship service, Apostle Peter preaching and Paul preaching and um, I think just now, going back to preaching and teaching itself, um, incarnating the word is just as important, maybe more effective, but the word still still needs to be preached. I have found uh, that in younger pastors, I'm still young, but we're very good at preaching to the saved, uh, but we have a long way to go to preach to the skeptics. Uh, questions have got to be answered. Uh, terminologies have all, all got to be defined. Uh, jargon has to be unpacked and the thing that's really itching on non-believers hearts i think we can only discern those things as we meet non-believers talk to non-believers read their books watch their movies because we actually enjoy common culture Uh, i think preaching and teaching in a way to skeptics in a wise intelligent way asking their questions answering them intelligently Uh, we are in a pre-evangelistic world pre-christian so Russell Moore, Russell Moore says, we're not post-Christian, we're pre-Christian now. A lot of uh, beginning apologetics really needs to be done. Os Guinness, I highly mm. recommend any book he's written, but uh, his recent one is called Fool's Talk, and one of his theses in that book is, notice how Jesus never preached the gospel the same way twice. He never preached the gospel the same way twice. Neither did Paul. When you go to a different culture, different mindset, different worldview." Orlando's different from LA. Kentucky's definitely different from LA. So I think we've got to also enter into that mindset. Yeah.
0: All right, we have one kind of wrap-up question, uh, kind of multi-question, but we can kind of bring to one. How do you? I think it's all about personal health. It seems like this one is. How do you? Oh, actually, we have two. But we'll, this is easier. How do you feed yourself? And like, how do you have community outside of your? congregation right and then what do you think? are what do you think is necessary to have the energy to have a healthy and long enduring pastorate so kind of multi john you you might be yeah 20 20 years or so no 17 years so maybe you're the senior so maybe you can start off or harold if you're ready
2: um for me i am i'm kind of a clockwork i, I um I don't know how everyone else is, but the more consistent and systematic my life is, the more creative I get. So I need to be a robot. And I know you guys are like, that would kill my creative. For me, when when everything's just so run-of-the-mill, I actually get energized and I, I get creative. When things go crazy and wacky, I my creative – Creativity goes down. That's just who I am. So um, mornings, I I, um, subscribe to um, um, Scripture Union, so uh, Encounter with God, um, and it's emailed to me. When I um, go through the passage and when I uh, respond, I actually journal. So I write a letter to God um, and basically go through the passage and also share with God, write to him. Uh, things that have happened throughout the week with life, with ministry, with family. Just my way of of sharing with God uh, very openly. So I've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, My journals, um, by the way, I'm very honest with God. Um, I've actually cursed. (laughs) put some curse words there, some four-letter words in my journal. So, yeah. No one looked through my journals, um, but it's it's really honest. It it looks like the Psalms in many ways. Um, so that, and then uh, I read uh, as as best as I can um, in varieties of places, um, anything related to worship, anything related to community, anything related to missions, and I I hop around back and forth um, between those things. The second question was, um, yeah, friends. uh, I have an accountability group. Um, These are uh, brothers that I've known since college, and so every Monday we uh, share and uh, have accountability. Uh, That's been going on for I think about thirteen years. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So one of us, one of us moved to California, so we did uh, we conference called. and we share very openly every area of struggle of life and and that 's really helped i i 'm very open with with Leanne, my wife as well uh, energy level wise, I hit the elliptical about an hour each night, um, unless i 'm here, and I just uh, click something on Netflix and watch a movie and just do one hour. After an hour, I stop the movie, so the next day I want to watch it again. So then I hit another hour, and uh, and do that. So that's 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 me. Um, yeah, I just need more sleep. I think Harold, we were all talking how it just takes longer for us to recover after after Sundays and and stuff. So we're just getting old. Yeah, that's it for.
0: Um, we're gonna go to the last one. We're just gonna transition uh, oh. for sake of time. We're gonna because go it's two fifty. Um, how and when do you know that it's time to transition or move on to a different <laughs> church or position? DL and John might not be DL the best. <laughs> they don't even. They've been in one place. But how do you know when it's time?
4: say leave I, mean, I don't know i don't, I don't know uh I, I get, yeah i don't know pray i'm sorry i i don't mean to be uh sarcastic but i, I really pray as to where the lord would leave you but i think from this conference we take away the six-year term the term yeah I mean, faithfully serve for, for six, years. six years, it could be three years yeah or. i was told it was five years at our church and then pastor kwan said yesterday Six. I was like, where did that one-year bonus come oh, from? Claire. Seven. Seven. seven what what
1: <laughs> he the heck? He called seven to Clara. <laughs> he said, I was he's
4: like, increasing it. I was like, man, I'm about to be a free agent in a little, little while. But, uh, yeah. I, I, it, um, so most recently when I moved from uh, Dallas to Seattle, uh, Pastor James and I met. And it wasn't an interview. We just had breakfast together. And then uh, he called me about uh, two months later and asking me, hey, would you be willing to come and serve? And um, he said, pray. And so I, my wife and I, we uh, pray for 100 days every single day, asking the Lord. And then I thought, oh, well, let's just do something fun with this 100-day prayer. God, I would love three signs. Give me one of those charismatic signs. And so I got three signs. Yeah, Three random, uh, nothing like systemized people in my own church said, uh, hey, what are you still doing here? To uh, You should maybe venture out and do something. And it wasn't like we're kicking you out. We're sort of see you go, but we feel like that would be the next step for you. And so that's when we felt the Lord was leading us out. Um,
1: so yeah. I think um, to, to me, <clears throat> that that sense of um, that sense of calling is such an important thing. as uh, the open door uh, pastors we're, we're, we're talking about. Um, opportunities. um, There will always be opportunities. Um, As I think about Jeremiah 29, when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, and and God said, basically, this is where I want you to be. So plant yourself, marry, build homes, uh, cultivate the land. Uh, You're here. Seek the welfare of the city in which uh, you're at. I don't think it's an accident that God places us where we are. And so as much as the grass was greener in a billion other places for the Israelites, uh, their calling was to be who they were there in that place. And until God said, uh, 539, go back home, uh, you uh, should remain faithful where you are. I think that's an under, uh, <coughs> under-embraced value for a lot of us second-gen <coughs> EM guys um, and girls, I'm sorry, um, I think it's it's something that uh, may, maybe you know we've we've demystified things a little bit, um, and maybe in in reform circles we do that. Uh, there's books called uh, "Just Do Something," where <coughs> you could um, <coughs> you could be crippled by paralysis of analysis, and so you don't do anything, and so just use common sense and just do something which I think in a lot of times it's, we ought to do. That. I don't think we need to pray for what we should eat for breakfast. But in something as, as important as where we serve, I think that sense of calling is so important. Um, I have uh, clearly, clearly, the, the day that I was, uh, I was graduating from seminary in 2005, and I was to uh, tell my church here that I'm leaving Orlando I don't know where I'm going, but I don't. I feel like the uh, there there's not a clear sense of calling here. The day before I was making that announcement, um, it was through prayer, and so uh, it's the it's the four cent simple four letter simple answer to the billion dollar questions. But but pray, uh, and in that place of prayer, um, it was completely undeniable this powerful sense of God's call that this is where you're supposed to be. Um, there were scripture passages there was uh you know just in in my the eyes of my heart began to see things that Uh, made it crystal clear that um, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I think that what the Lord was doing in waiting was that I didn't back into this position as I've been doing youth ministry here for four years. I'm going to stay because I love the people, but I needed to be absolutely certain that um, this is the harvest field that God wants me to be. And so um, I tell my, there. there's some times where I feel like, ah, my people don't love me enough. And so I'm going to threaten them and say, I've been here long enough. And so I'm praying about, you know, I got this opportunity elsewhere, but, um, but then on, on, uh, I've already put it out there that says, uh, as long as the Lord calls me here, unless I sense the call lifting, unless there's someone that the Lord drops into our midst that can really, uh, I feel is going to lead our congregation to the next level, then um, I'm going to be here as faithfully as I can until the Lord says, uh, go elsewhere. And so um, I, think we have to, uh, I think we have to have that sense of calling. That this is where, and the way, I think the way God has led us in the past is how he's going to lead us in, in the future. Um, and so being self-aware, being sensitive to how the Lord has led us, and, you know, having our antennas up to see how does the Lord guide and, and lead. Because otherwise, I mean, there's there will always be a bigger church, a better church, a more successful church, a more healthy church, a better mentor, who whatever it is, a bigger city that has opportunities that will come through your email box. You'll see on KMR.org or whatever it is, there's always going to be greener grass. Um, And so we have to know, yeah, this is, I'm where God wants me to be before we entertain things.
0: All right, 2.57. Three minutes. Does anyone have a burning question that they must ask? Thank you for being patient. Uh, Anyone? Last opportunity. (laughs) Jay. You're looking at him. Just kidding. You're looking at him.
3: I mean, I, 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 quite frankly, I've been so, I mean, I've been so edified. I've learned from each man. Paul is the first time I've met, and I'm I'm quite blown away, really, sincerely. I think the the kind of makeup, uh, in certain situations, uh, this is quite humbling and challenging to hear some of his answers. Sure. And I praise God for it. But all of us are different. So again, you got to know yourself. If you do have the opportunity the opportunity to uh, discern what the next ministry will be, on this question, you know, of course, affinity, ability, and opportunity. I think you got to be very careful. You got to figure out if you can do what Paul does. You got to figure out if you can't be Paul. You got to be yourself. And you got to figure out what senior pastor, what kind of you know, ministry you would need for that. But that's healthy, really means different things for, I think, all of us up here. Well, how, you, how we would define health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add a little tidbit. We move from the question that John Chai answered, brother, sister. I cannot say enough about each pastor having his or her own church, a real intimate accountability group Mm. fellowship. I have one myself. John has one weekly. We did not meet weekly. This was born 14 to 15 years ago. And here's just a fact. Something dawned on me. Almost so, uh, the number of great, prominent, well-known, impactful, effective uh, Christian ministers who have fallen for one reason or another, what dawned on me was I bet none of them started out to do that. Right? None of them intentionally became a minister, went to seminary, led in public, affected lives to only end up having some secret dark addiction that was never counseled, repented of, and then all became public. No one planned this, right? So what was missing? I'm convinced one of the greatest parts, aside from the Holy Spirit, is a really good group of friends. Like, friends, like, do you know what that means anymore? That's a question that I ask for pastors. Do you even know what it means anymore? Fun friends. They don't treat you like a pastor. You have no title. They break it down. They ask you all kinds of questions. This is life-giving. I can't say enough about that. Please. Mm. make sure you got great helps from people. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And hopefully this is a place where something, some of those things develops as you meet people and talk to people. Hopefully this is a place where if you don't have that, they can develop. That's um, question. On. Okay.
3: <laughs> Josh, no, <it's> <laughs> just, just,
0: um, can <laughs> we, that, that is good to share <laughs> there. Can we, uh, as, as we finish, um, can we just spend a quick moment and whatever it is that you felt you, as as, as, uh, as Hezra Harrell was saying, um, just humbled, you felt like you were just impacted, encouraged, and challenged. Can we just spend a moment, as DL has been kind of teaching us and helping us to do each time, to really pray that into our hearts so that it really takes, that so doesn't become just things that we hear, but it's really impacting our hearts. Can we just take a moment to do so? And then, uh, if I may, I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll go and do the rest of the schedule so let's take
2: a moment to pray
1: Does prowl around, devour and, and kill, kill and, destroy. and destroy. Oh
3: Lord, may You use this denomination, use the of God, 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 use these to and rivers out. Real communities, God, that there would be one or two or three who gather and regularly, and pray and confess, and carry each other's burdens and encourage each other regularly. Be able.
0: holy and gracious God, we give you thanks. We pray through this conference and we give you particular thanks for this time that we've had with our brothers here to to learn from them. But more than us wanting to become them or be in their position, maybe we pray that you would indeed help us to learn who it is that you desire for us to become, how you've created us, where you've placed us, how these things that we learn and we things go away with that they would impact us and help to transform us to become more like you in our context, in our cities, in our churches, in our homes. And I pray that as you do so, that we would become a greater community of pastors, of leaders, but more men and women who indeed build your kingdom, further your gospel in the way that you've given us, tasked us, and gifted us, We pray that that would be done for the glory of your name and your kingdom. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. One round of applause for our panelists.